Welcome to episode 5 of the AgriTurf Academy and I'm your host Chris Biddle. For this episode we are off to New Zealand's North Island to catch up with St John Craner for part 2 of the Art of the Sales Conversation or more specifically the Art of the Rural Sales Conversation. In the first part St John talked about the importance of listening, listening closely in order to pick up on various signs to gain as much information as you can from the client about what he or she wants or think they want. So Sinjin, welcome once again. I, I seem to remember that there are six succinct questions, all beginning with W, that journalists or the police use to get the complete picture. Yeah, they are. They're a great model. When you were talking about lessons from police or from journalist school, um, you remember the um, Kipling a six honest men poem. He says, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what, why, when, how, where, and who. And um, I think it's really lovely. And I, I teach that a lot in my training is that it's not necessarily the volume of questions or the quantity of questions, the quality of the questions. And it's also important. It's not necessarily what you ask, but how you ask. Because if you ask too many questions, and this is where my the, the guys and girls that I train in sales teams, they get really, really hung up and they have a problem of asking these questions because they think they're being too nosy, too pushy. Oh, that's none of my business. I shouldn't be asking questions like that about how much they make or their production or their productivity. It's how you ask the question. Now, the word question, the Latin derivative word of that is core, which means quest. So that's the root definition of the word question. And questions need to land softly. Um, some questions can be quite piercing, um, and you can feel like you're having an interrogation if someone's asking you too many questions. So you need to be focusing on the value of questions, less questions rather than more questions. Now, the old sort of, um, excuse me, Chris, the bullshit kind of traditional happy clappy franchise manual cookie cutter US version is uh, always be closing. Now, if you ask the right questions in the right way in your sales conversation, your customer will close themselves. I kid you not. If you ask them the right way at the right time, they will sell themselves. Your job is to support their buying process, not sell them like we spoke about in part one of our conversation. So sales are made in the conversation. And what makes a really good sales conversation is intelligent, well-timed, well-thought, well-asked questions. And I gave you a couple of examples of those. You remember the Kipling uh, Six Honest Men poem? He says, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what, why, when, how, where, and who. And I think it's really lovely. And I teach that a lot in my training is that it's not necessarily the volume of questions or the quantity of questions, the quality of the questions. And it's also important. It's not necessarily what you ask, but how you ask. Because if you ask too many questions, and this is where my, the, the guys and girls that I train in sales teams, they get really, really hung up and they have a problem of asking these questions because they think they're being too nosy, too pushy. Oh, that's none of my business. I shouldn't be asking questions like that about how much they make or their production or their productivity. It's how you ask the question. Now, the word question, the Latin derivative word of that is core, which means quest. So that's the root definition of the word question and questions need to land softly. Um, some questions can be quite piercing um, and you can feel like you're having an interrogation if someone's asking you too many questions. 
So you need to be focusing on the value of questions, less questions rather than more questions. Now, the old sort of, excuse me, the bullshit traditional happy clappy franchise manual cookie cutter US version is uh, always be closing. Now, if you ask the right questions in the right way in your sales conversation, your customer will close themselves. I kid you not. If you ask them the right way at the right time, they will sell themselves. Your job is to support their buying process, not sell them like we spoke about in part one of our conversation. Sales are made in the conversation. And what makes a really good sales conversation is intelligent, well-timed, well-thought, well-asked questions. And I gave you a couple of examples of those on, on our first show. I'll give you an example of another one now. So you and I are sitting down, Chris, I've come to see you and I say to you, Chris, tell me, Chris, if we were sitting down 12 months from now, what would a good season look like for you? Now, that is a really good opening question. It's a what question. A how question is a really good. So how do you, how are you going to get to where you want to be based on telling me what a really good season looks like? I'm using the visual cortex here, by the way, because it's our strongest uh, sense, right? Um, because our brain directs from our eyes straight back to our amygdala very, very quickly. So when I ask people, what does a really good season look like for you? They're immediately visualizing and imagining the future state. And then we take them back to their current state. This is what I teach in my training. And then we sell the gap. So you're here now. You want to get there. What, what methods are you employing? And what strategies and what systems, what tools, what machines, what software? And then you can have a conversation about the blocks and barriers because once you've anchored them in their future state by asking that question, their subconscious wants that future state. They want that desired state. They don't want their current state because they're obviously trying to employ a machine or a tool or a product or service to solve that problem for them. So asking the question, Chris, imagine we were sitting down 12 months from now. What would a good season look like for you? And then you shut up. And you let them tell you in specific, very, very high definition detail what that season looks like or what that result would look like. Go, Chris, you can ask me a question. Incidentally, there's a lot to process during this conversation. Are you physically taking notes during it? Obviously, when you leave the conversation, before you get back in the car or however you're traveling, you do need to make some very obvious notes because when you go to the doctor or whatever, He's obviously making notes, or he or she making notes uh, about what you're saying in order to put in for further conversation. If you can ever get an appointment, but what, 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 how do you actually handle? Do you, do you have to just keep it up here, or pick out the key points that client has actually illustrated? Yeah, my best tools are a notebook that I write in the back, and my diaries in the front. And I take note. I don't write everything down that everyone no. says. And a lot of my students go, oh, Sinjin, I, I think it's rude if I'm taking notes. What it's actually showing is you're, you're really, really listening and you're taking notes. Now, good doctors, good professionals take notes and they write something down. And you might have said a specific thing or a specific word. So my example in our last conversation to show that I was really listening to you, Chris, is you use the word unveil a lot. And I did and I wrote it down. So I was able to repeat it back. So it's very important when we're selling to people serving them by supporting that buying decision, they want to be felt, heard, seen, and understood. So they want to be felt for where they are, as in, I don't know, I don't trust you. Are you just like everyone else? Are you going to promise me the world and bullshit me and try and sell me something just to put on the table and make your quota? 
Or are you going to make me feel safe by asking questions that serve my needs rather than yours? On that, just back to your previous questions, because this is a really important topic for your listeners. It don't ask the why conversation. There's been a lot of discussion around why. Now, you know, when your kids ask why, why, it can be quite annoying. A why is a very confrontational word, and it's going to elicit a response in your buyer. But if you ask a what or a how, it's much better. Like we spoke about the question earlier, Chris, if we imagine you and I were sitting down 12 months from now, what would a good season look like for you? It's a very open, inviting, soft question. And then once you've planted what your ideal season would look like 12 months from now, that is your future state. I then take you back to your current state. So where are you now, Chris? I'm running at this production or profitability, or I'm here now, but I want to be there. Okay. Um, what solutions you've got in place? How are you going, how are you looking to achieve that? What sort of things are you doing? I don't ask them, why do you want to get, why do you want to be there? Because why is a confronting word. And it's like quest, quarry. It's like an arrowhead. It can really, really hurt. So we kind of put the dampener on that arrowhead by softening our questioning. Now, I'm going to give you listeners another tip here. The the best chat show host in the world, Michael Parkinson, was one of them. I remember him younger watching it mum and dad. He was so good at putting his customers at ease that they would open up and tell them stories and he'd get the stories and the scoops that no other chat show host would get. Now, he did this by what we call sentence starters. What I mean by that is I might say to you, Chris, do you mind me asking what is the problem you think you're trying to solve here? I'm asking permission to ask the question. But this sentence starter technique works for two reasons. It works to prepare and ask permission, a state of readiness for the prospect to ask that you're going to ask them a question. So you're asking them and then they're mentally prepared. So it softens that line of questioning. And secondly, it gives you permission as the seller to ask that question. There are two people that need to be sold on asking that question is the prospect and yourself. Often when I've trained, and I've trained literally thousands of rural reps over Australia, New Zealand and US is they have a real thing up asking questions and they don't feel comfortable asking questions. They think it's nosy. They think being too prying, they're too pokey, it's too confronting. I ask them to soften their line of questioning. You can still ask a hard, hard question in a really soft way. So I might say, so Chris, tell me why, do you mind me asking, why do you think that's continuing to happen? So that, if I didn't soften that, that might make you feel rather stupid. And again, it elicits that fit or fear response where you retreat and recall and you don't open up. Because again, if your buyer's not feeling safe with you, you're not going to surface their real reasons and the real problems. You're not going to have a richness or depth of conversation and the specificity that you're writing down in your book to know that these are real problems that they're trying to solve. Like you're going to get an idea of the pain, the specificity, the urgency, or you're going to be able to qualify through your conversation, through your questions that actually this isn't the right time for them right now. And then you're going to nurture them and talk to, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, and obviously have a marketing machine that's doing that heavy lifting for you with the automation and the nurturing. Yeah, be careful of how many questions you ask. Focus on how you ask the questions rather than what you ask. A why question is a really dangerous question unless you soften it with a sentence starter. I'm a big fan of what questions and how questions because they're expansive questions. Now, traditional sales training people go, put into questions. They, if everyone's asking the same questions, your sales experience and your buyer's experience isn't going to be any different. You want a superior experience between you and your buyer. So you've got to ask more intelligent questions. The thing that I drum into sales teams is I want you to be super curious. 
I don't want you to be critical because criticism closes doors, curiosity opens them. And the best way to open up your buyer is ask really good questions in the right way and the right tone at the right time to the right people. Hope that helps. I've heard you talk about counterintuitive questioning. How would you describe that? Yeah, it's like reverse psychology. So I might give you an example here because I know you, you get my weekly emails, right? So a counterintuitive is so Chris, really good to catch up with you. Um, we've got, I think we've got half an hour in the diary for you. I hope you don't mind me asking because I know you're a really busy bloke. What made you make time for me today? Now, what I'm asking then is I'm asking Chris, it's counterintuitive, like, hey, I'm getting him to sell himself to me now. So what I'm asking him to do is, so I recognize and compliment that he's a really busy bloke. He's made time for me. And I've asked him very, very nicely. So I'm just curious, why did you agree to meet with me today knowing you're a really busy guy? Now, what will happen is if they have reached out to you, that is an inbound lead, you can definitely ask that question. If it's an cold outbound lead, as in you've had to set the appointment, you can still ask that, but you need to ask it really, really nicely and softly in the way that I've trained you. So counterintuitive clues is why do you think that's still happening? Do you mind me asking, Chris, why do you think that's still happening? So these counterintuitive questions, and Chris will give you the link to the resources at the end, they get you to get the buyer. Another counterintuitive question might be, Chris, forgive me here. Now, I always ask for forgiveness before I ask questions. Forgive me, Chris, but I thought choosing the lowest priced option is what got you into the situation in the first place. Now, that's a bit of a zinger. That's got a little bit of a bite, that question. But I've asked it in a really nice way because it's saying when you chose the lowest price last time, it got you in a bit of shit. Now, I'm not saying it got you in a bit of shit, but I'm saying when you chose the lowest price last time, you were in the same situation because you chose that lowest price. Do you think we need to look at something different this time to get a different result? So you can see the softness and the politeness and the respect and all those things. So counterintuitive questions are really good because way you're going to change your sales conversations and elevate your sales conversations is to get your customers to start thinking for themselves. And when you see them, it's almost like the flip, that the, the penny drops. You watch them, watch them like a hawk, and they go, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, or that's right. Or they say one or two things, and Chris Boss from his negotiation book, he says, you're right, or that's right, and I can't remember the distinction between the two. But you'll see them, it will cognitively click them and go, yeah, no, that's right. And and you'll see them do that because what they've done is you've shifted their belief or their mindset from what they thought to something else by using a counterintuitive question like that. Yeah, you're right. I keep using the cheap stuff. It keeps breaking down and I'm just going to get the same shit again and again if I don't make a better decision because I'm going to get the same thing again and again. One of the best examples of that, and you talked about really good interviewers, and there's no question that Michael Parkinson was one of the very best. What interviews in the political realm over here, Andrew Neal is regarded as one of the most forensic, but so much so that a lot of the political leaders avoid him like the plague. He was recently talking about global warming with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and said, in, in order to reach net zero, have you calculated how much it will cost? Full stop. And the Prime Minister said, you know, nobody's asked me that before, and yet that has got to be the core question when you, are, when you are talking about such an important subject. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you another example here. You know, you can talk about the cost of something and, and they're reeling and they're, oh, there are two, co- oh, there are two costs, don't you? 
there's a cost of doing it and there's a cost of not yeah. doing it. So what's the cost of not doing it? So we know that these machines or this system or this product, this service, like I do my sales training, we can deliver roughly around a 15, 30% increase in sales if the guys follow what we do. Now, the cost of the training is $5,000, but basically we're going to get easily with sort of a 10x return easily. So what does 15 to 30% increase in sales look like for you? So that's the cost and that's the price. So another example of counterintuitive question, we'll get back to Andrew Neal is, when someone's earning and earning, and obviously everyone's very, very price conscious at the moment because we've got inflation, we've got very, very high costs here in New Zealand and Australia as well, is you say, do you mind me asking, Chris, are you focusing on the price or are you focusing on the cost? And they go, what do you mean? Like they won't sometimes verbalize that, but you'll see the sort of incongruent like mismatch in their face. So I go, Chris, do you mind me asking, are you focused here more on the price or the cost? Now in their mind, that's cognitive dissonance where you're holding two opposing thoughts in your brain and it creates conflict. It creates tension. So that cognitive dissonance, which is a psychological term where you hold two opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time is very, very hard for our brain to do that. And it wants to resolve that straight away. So what we do is you'll see them struggling with it. And you say, what I mean by that is you realize when you choose the lowest price, it comes at a cost because with that lowest price comes limitations. And those limitations are X, Y, and Z. Obviously, if we go with this model, we can get these things and you get more of that, or you can go with this model and you can get even more of that. So sometimes some of our clients go for this or they put a bit of a blend together and they go for that. So you've immediately got them away from the cost and price sensitivity using that tool. That is a very powerful tool. And we're eliciting the law of loss aversion there. So I'm giving you all my tricks here. Chris, all my science, all my art, your listeners are getting a really good, hopefully a really good training here. If they're listening and writing it down and then most importantly applying it, but we're twice as motivated to loss than we are again. It's loss aversion. Daniel Kahneman, he's a Nobel Peace Prize winner in behavioral economics. A wonderful book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. It is a beast, a weapon of a book, about 550 pages. That intimidates me because most of the books I read are about 240, 220 pages. And I read a lot. And this book took me ages to get through, but I can do an extreme executive summary in two words, loss aversion. Google it, look at it. It's one of the most dated studies in, in social science and behavioral science. We're twice as motivated to loss than we are gain. Why do we have insurance? We have insurance because we want to insure ourselves against loss. Now, more importantly, if people are still skeptic of my claim here, it's because the insurance industry has a reinsurance industry behind it. The insurance industry is insuring itself against loss using the reinsurance industry and the Lloyds and the like. So that's why I talk about the lowest price often comes with limitations and that clicks the loss aversion response in the buyer's brain. It's a very important point. Um, but the way I framed it, it's very important that you pay attention to. Are sales personnel born or are they made? It's like leadership, isn't it? Yes, that nature versus nurture. I think anything can be trained if you have a willingness and an attitude. Now, a lot of sales managers and business owners I speak to, they say, oh, I train for attitude and I recruit or hire on attitude. I think anything can be trained. This lovely quote, I think the Chinese proverb says, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. Or when the teacher appears. When the student's done, the teacher disappears. So it's having an open mindset and a willingness to learn. I think there was a lovely quote by Naval. Um, and I'm just trying to fiercely find it. And what he talked about, he says, there is an abundance of information on the internet these days. 
but there is a lack of abundance to learn. So what it is, is you've got to be coachable. You've got to be willing. Just because you finished core or high school or secondary school and you got your GCSEs or you didn't at your school level, and a lot of people are more pragmatic than they are academic, including someone like my brother that just rips tractors down all day, is you've got to have a willingness to learn. You've got to have in mind. Uh, Warren Buffett said it well. The more you learn, the more you earn. I always say that readers are leaders. So you need to be using every single time, listening to podcasts like this, taking the resources from all these wonderful guests that appear on Chris's show, and sucking dry that resources they're putting out there. There is an abundance of information on the internet, but there's a lack of willingness to learn. And that's this sad irony that people complain about they want a better future or they want a better situation with the family, but they're not willing to do the work. You have to have a willingness. It's like a player on a rugby team, cricket team. They need to be coachable. They need to be coachable. They need to be open-minded. There's no point saying, oh, I know this already. The fact is, if you do know this, I want you to be honest with yourself. And I ask all my students this when we kick off, when we train them is, how open are you to, if you know this, how well are you doing it? I want you to be really honest with yourself. I know I need to read to my kids more at night, yell at them less, go to the gym more, drink less, put on sunscreen, spend more time with my wife, eat better food, have green on my plate. There's so many things I know I need to do, but I don't do them. There's a massive gap between knowing and doing. And the best people do what they know they need to do because they're aware of that. So there's a lovely quote, do what is easy and your life will be hard. Do what is hard and your life will be easy. It's hard when you're busy. You might be a young mum or dad. There's a lot of bills to pay. There's a lot of free resources. The stuff that Chris is putting out here, the stuff that I put out and all your guests and all your experts put out, there's a wonderful amount of resources. You just have to make the time. Listen to these podcasts in your truck when you're doing your work trips or maybe the kids are sleeping in the car, you can put earpods on and listen to the podcast like this. There's so much to learn. And the more I learn, I realize there's more I don't know, Chris. The more I grow, you know, it's, there's so much to learn. I think that's one of the problems with the advent of AI. It will give you all the answers, but it doesn't have any intuitive response or guesswork is not the right word, but understand of what it actually means. And luckily, within the industry which we serve, um, people who go for jobs in it don't have to produce loads of degrees or qualifications and so on. Do you know the main question that most business owners will be trying to answer when they're faced with a new somebody coming in for a job is, will they fit in? Will they fit into to our team, our company? Are they, in the old days, are they cut from the right jib or whatever the thing is? And, and we'll get that out of an interview. And I think often it's a gut feeling that you've got. You won't always get it right, will you? But think, really, we still live in rural industries in a lot of trust in people. And I think the uh, in rural industries, I think the intuition that many of people involved is, is so valuable and almost unestimable. Oh, I couldn't agree more. In rural, people buy people. Yeah. You know, sometimes things are done on a handshake. And often I'd say to your listeners, sometimes... The differentiation between you and another rep is yourself. You are the product. So I do a lot on in my elite programs about how people lead themselves. They need to be a leader of themselves and they need to master themselves and know themselves and master themselves before they, before they can master others. Now, a lot of us lack emotional intelligence. So sometimes a lot of us are high on TQ or PQ, like practical intelligence or technical intelligence or machinery intelligence. Let's call it MQ. 
But EQ is very, very, you know, I've met plenty of professors or, or geeks that have got like the social skills of an ant, all right? And they're not paid very well. They're kept in a back room, in a dark room, away from everyone else because they just, they scare our customers. So we don't let them out. I think it's really important that if you are in sales and you want to succeed, you need to be a student of psychology. You need to get curious and study the basic laws of human nature and behavior. Psychology is a rural sales superpower. I'm absolutely convinced of it. It served me really well. I continue to learn. I continue to get coached by, I reckon, some of the best people in the world who are teaching me stuff in the behavioral science and the psychology. Make sure what Chris is saying here is, yes, machines are going to come and we have buying clubs and reverse auctions and algorithms and machine learning, deep learning, all that sort of stuff. Rural will be a little later in the piece and they are often buying you and you need to be empathetic and tuned in to your buyer making them feel safe and sometimes you want to be the best part of their day you want to provide a really good buying experience for them but you need to show real empathy for how that farmer or that client that b2b or b2c or more importantly chris be to me because it's a person that you're dealing with there is still a premium being felt, seen, heard, and understood. You only need to think about that in terms of marriage and your loved ones, whether it's husband or wife. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be felt. They want to be understood. A machine will never be able to do that. I've talked about this a lot on my own podcast. You need to be tuned in. You need to be empathetic, not sympathetic, empathetic. You need to feel what they can feel, and they will then, the neurological pathways in their brain will light up in particular areas. We know this from the science. We know this from MRI. They will then feel safe. And when they feel safe, they will open up and they will tell you their deepest, darkest problems. And then you can then try and qualify if you can solve them. The important part here is fit is everything. Again, we've got to make our feel, we've got to make our customers feel safe. There's got to be good chemistry and good. Now, everyone says sales is about relationships. Oh, that's great. I can have a coffee or a beer with anyone, right? I can have it with a guy that's cleaning the street or a CEO. But the reality is I need to have a deeper relationship. Deeper relationship is when I'm curious and I'm serving them and they really need, they can really sense, really feel because we're human feelings. We're not human beings. We feel we're going to make an emotional decision before we make a rational decision. First of all, do I feel safe? Then does this product do the job? Can I trust this bloke? Who do I need to talk to? Okay, then can I afford it? We don't start with price. We start with the emotional, then the functional, and then the financial. Look, Sinjin, over these last two episodes, we've been talking about mastering the art of the sales conversations. As a bit of a wrap-up, can you, can you provide a two or three takeaways, just brief phrases that people ought to keep in mind when they are looking to hone their skills in this arena? Yeah, absolutely. There are three magic words that you need to always say in your conversations if you want conversation to keep going and you want to have a longer deeper richer conversation that unveils or surfaces their real reasons for buying you ask these three words they're very simple words tell me more now when you say tell me more people comply 90 95 percent of the time because it's showing that you're genuinely interested in what they want to say now often a buyer because they are going to self-preservation mode protection mode because they're worried about loss and you selling them something they don't want because they put you with a great unwash and mix, you know, they tie you with the same brush as every other rep, burnt and bruised them with empty promises. 
you are conveying your intent to truly understand what they need. And when you say something like, tell me more, they're going to go deeper. You don't want a superficial, shallow conversation. You want a deep, rich conversation that you can then go back to your sales manager or your boss and go, actually had a really good conversation. And then a good sales manager, because we train those as well, often say, show me the manager and I'll show you the team. Same with sports, right? Show me the coach, I'll show you the team. Or show me the captain, I'll show you the team. Is you'll be able to then say to your manager and qualify, yeah, I got this information. Okay, so talk to me about urgency. Talk to me about the specific pain. Did they talk about detail? So these are all signals or buying signals. The other point I'd say as a takeaway is questions. The question is the answer. Question is the answer. You only I need to ask maybe three to four questions, quality questions in a sales conversation to get what you need. So the question is the answer. Always use questions. And most importantly, third and final thing is sales are made in the conversation. If you can get really good and fluent at the nuances and the subtleties of a sales conversation, and that happens through doing the dirty reps, you just got to keep having the conversations, keep practicing, keep skilling and drilling. Yes, there's a lot to remember, and there's a lot that we've gone through in these two conversations, but there's some basics. If you, your sales are made in the conversation and the quality of your questions determine the quality of your conversation. Ask dumb questions, get dumb answers. Ask intelligent, curious, serving questions, you're more likely to get their real reasons for buying and therefore your customers then more likely to close themselves. I've recorded this episode with Sinjin before the 2023 Rugby World Cup in France. So as someone born and educated in England, but now ensconced firmly in New Zealand, I asked him who he would shout for if the All Blacks met England in the final. And remember, that turned out to be a possibility right up to the semi-finals. So I got, always got told off by my wife and children. They said, when I always support England or New Zealand, except when they play England. So I always support <laughs> England. I sat in my couch in the 2019 World Cup, surrounded by Kiwis, and we just steamrolled them. And it, I think I was just shocked as anyone else. So Eddie Jones, for once, did deliver. So yeah, no, I'll be supporting England. I think they've got a really, really tough time. I think the way the model's set up is really hard with the clubs versus the RFU. Um, All Blacks are certainly getting to some really good, they're getting to a good position. I think France will be very, very hard to beat on the home ground. And I think Ireland will be up there. You're going to, Australia could surprise us and Eddie could pull one out of the hat. Um, but England have certainly got their work cut out. Um, not that there's not good players, but just the way that's set up with the season and the ownership and the clubs versus country. So yeah, always support England and, and I'll support New Zealand all the time, except when they're playing England. And in the words of Alan Partridge on that bombshell, well, I'd like to say, Sinjin, thank you very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure. Great to catch up. Thank you very much indeed. I'm going to bed and you're just having breakfast. There's a certain synergy to that. I'm I'm off to my next meeting. So thank you for always having me, Chris. Yep. If people want to reach out, connect me on LinkedIn. Chris will put all the resources and the links in the show notes, but I hope this has been useful. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Chris. So some really rich, powerful advice there from Sinjin, which in essence disputes and substitutes the well-known mantra for salespeople abc always be closing with abq always be questioning now in the show notes to this episode is a link to sinjin's linkedin profile and to his company agrarian in january he is launching a rural sales syndicate online sales coaching for groups of up to 10 people do ask him for details And I also provide a link in the show notes to the first part of Sinjin's Art of the Sales Conversation episode. So thank you for joining me. I'm Chris Biddle, and this 
is an episode from the AgriTurf Academy.